You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Welcome, everyone. I am Johnny Christ, and this is the Drinks with Johnny podcast. Thanks for tuning in to another week of the show. Really appreciate it, guys. Uh, Last week was a lot of fun with Kevin Eastman. Hope you guys checked that one out. Uh, Make sure you're sharing us everywhere on your social media. We'll reshare it if you do so. And, uh, of course, as always, give us a rating and review right here on whatever avenue you're listening to Drinks with Johnny. We are on every platform now, thanks to uh, Sound Talent Media. So make sure you're listening to us anywhere that you get your podcasts. This week, I am joined by Jim Florentine from That Metal Show, the comedian metalhead. He's got so much stuff going on, and we get into all of it. Uh, again, we, we talked about the beginning of it. Um, we've been in a lot of uh, same circles without actually having a conversation. Not like this one. We've uh, actually become friends. We've been texting each other since I recorded this episode with him. Really good dude. Uh, a lot of fun. A lot of fun just reminiscing and getting to know his metal background and talking music, talking comedy, and so, so much more. So uh, I really appreciate you guys tuning in. I'll talk to you at the end as I always do. But without further ado, I bring you Jim Florentine. What's up, everybody? I am Johnny Christ, and this is Drinks with Johnny. Thank you so much for tuning in. Now, I know you guys are here on YouTube, and that's great. I love you guys that are here, but, you know, if you need somewhere else to go and you have, and you don't want to miss this next chat I'm about to have, it's available as a podcast, too. Throw on your headphones, go about your day. You'll have a fucking fantastic time. I've got a great guest on today. Um, we've been in uh, contact a few times through little inner circles and stuff. He's a He's a metalhead, a podcaster, comedian, uh, DJ, father. Did I miss anything, Jim? Um, that's pretty much it, I think. Yeah. yeah. Jim Florentine, everybody, is on the show. How you doing today, man? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. Where are you, where are you at in the world right now? I'm in Jersey, New Jersey. That's where I live. Yeah. Uh, you know, things are slowly starting to open back up. I'm doing some stand-up shows. You can have like 30 people in the room, 30, 40 25 percent so it's better than nothing yeah no no that, that's certainly better than nothing I, let's just go right into that then like how's that how's that been for you the last year i mean i know you know you, you're a stand-up comedian that's kind of where you get your breaks like what 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 have you been able to do and I, I know you're doing aussie's boneyard every thursday um and doing the podcasting but i mean bread and butter stand-up comedian how's how's that been for you yeah it was tough man because i was you know i was on the road for like 25 years straight you know, not every day, but pretty much, you know, you never get off really toward doing stand up. You just keep going and going, you know, unlike a band where they got to take a break, do a new album and all that stuff. So then all of a sudden it just comes to a head. And the first month you're like, you know what? This is good. I just like doing nothing. Yeah. And then you're bored out of your mind. Like I always, 
wondered how musicians could go on a tour for like a year, take like nine months off and then go record an album for four months and then wait another six months to go back on tour. Like I couldn't sit around for two years and not do anything. That would drive me nuts, but I had to go through it for the first time. Yeah, man, I think a lot of people have, have had to come, come to grips with just being around themselves and not having so much to do. And I think, I think there's a lot, of, a lot of things we can learn from this. Like, like you said, things are starting to open back up. We got, we're moving on. Everything's going to be just fine for the most part. Sorry for everyone who lost a, a loved one. I don't mean that in a, in a bad way. But like yeah. moving on, like everything is going to keep getting back to normal. And uh, I think we can take a little bit of what we learned about ourselves from this last year, year and a half, whatever it's going to end up being. It helped me reconnect with my family and friends and especially my kid. Not that we weren't close, but we spent so much time together. Yeah. He's 10 years old. You know what I mean? So it was like, it was a really good bonding experience if you got anything out of it. Yeah. And just I- reconnecting, hanging with the family and friends. You know, I live in the hometown pretty much where I grew up. Guys I've known since first grade, we're getting together and stuff. And, you know, I finally had time to do it where I wasn't away. Yeah. Well, you didn't have the excuse every time you get a text from a buddy like I am at home, you're like, uh, I'm on the road, buddy. I'll see you when I get back. And then you, you, you fuck yeah. off for a while. It's <laughs> like, you know, it's his third wedding. He wants me to go to on a Saturday. I'm like, I'm not, I already been to the first two. You, know what I mean? <laughs> you don't I need to go to the third one. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, I'm on the road. Sorry, man. I got to Just send, send, send me the registration. I'll, I'll figure it out from there. <laughs> yeah. I go, I'll go. How about I go to your fourth one? I'll skip this one. I'll go to the next one. <laughs> uh, you mentioned your son. Uh, his name is Luke, correct? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned on your, uh, your standup, uh, I got the, I got the house at, at that time. He was like five, I believe five or seven yeah, or something five, like that. Yeah. And uh, at the end of this, there's like a musical number, the evil pumpkin. And, and uh, that's, that's starring Luke. I had a question though. Who did the music? Cause I, obviously Luke is singing over the top of it. Do you play guitar and drums or, or did you? Have no, no. It was just my, a friend of mine who I went to high school with, my son was taking music lessons since he was five. So, oh no, four actually. Shit. So, and this guy that, you know, guitar teacher, we'd go in there every Monday and he would, you know, and, and do music, whether guitar, you know, keyboards, singing, making up lyrics and stuff. At like five, he's rhyming stuff. It was amazing. So uh, he came up, you know, they both came up. My, my son's like, no, I want it heavy. Like sort of like a Black Sabbath riff. Yeah. And, you know, my friend would just be start jamming. No, no, heavier, a little, then a little slower. And then he just came up. He had a dream that his friends were getting chased by a pumpkin, you know, and, uh, and he came up with the lyrics did, to it. Did he get into a story about it. Did you let your son get into your chocolate shrooms? Because I like, how the fuck did he, did he figure this out at such an early age? Like, that's, that's mind-boggling to me. I don't know. Like, you, you, the, the guy that was teaching him, he's like, dude, this freaking kid is just unbelievable. Like, the rhymes and just, yeah, the whole story. The pumpkin was chasing me, my friends, through the woods. And, you know, I had a dream and stuff like that. I go, yeah, it goes, you know, so evil pumpkin. All right, to come up with a lyric, to tell a story. Yeah. Well, I love my son. He's four years old, but he ain't thinking that way yet. Now, now, now I'm like looking down at him because he's not as good as Luke. I'm well, like, you know what I did? This is what I did. And, you know, as soon as every time we got in the car, he was in the back seat. I put metal on. Yeah. So he knows no other music. I start him with some simple stuff, you know, some catchy stuff like ACDC. Okay. He could pick the riffs up, TNT, shit like that, you know. And, you know, and then I progressed to Black Sabbath and Metallica and all these other bands, Slipknot. And, you know, so he, uh, you know, he got in and he had no choice but to like that music. So he was always listening to lyrics, learning the words to the songs. And, you know, he just started from there. And then he just loved taking the music lessons. He doesn't take them anymore. He's kind of out of it now. Okay. I don't want to push it on him too much. No, no, no. Let, let, you, you definitely want to let them find music themselves, you know. Um, 
How did you find music? I mean, you're a big metalhead. You're that metal show famously from, and everyone knows you as a big metalhead, comedian, all this stuff. Like, where did you first discover music, metal? What, what, were, what were some of your first records? It was the same thing with my, my, my childhood. My, I had two older brothers. So they were like five, six years older than me. So we drive around. They were 17. I was 11, 12. And they were just cranking Ted Nugent, ACDC, Aerosmith, Judas Priest, Black Sabbath. I had no choice but to listen to it. I was just cool that I could be out of the house and drive around the car with my brothers. And they would just crank that stuff. So my dad tried to turn me into like 50s music. When I drive around, my dad would put 50s. And I like the 50s stuff. There's some pretty cool stuff. Yeah. You know, so I like that. But then when I had my, you know. Then all of a sudden, Ozzy Osbourne, Alice Cooper, you know, and the parents all hated that music. You know, it was the devil. My God, this is what I like, you know, just to rebel. Yeah. And then I had no choice but to get into it. I went to my first concert at 12. I saw what Sabbath. Was oh, Sabbath was your first concert? Yeah, I saw ACDC with Bon Scott as a 12-year-old. Fuck, I'm so jealous of that. That's yeah, so my parents would let, let my brothers take me. Like, all right, just be, you know, be, you know, take care of them. Like, okay, I'm like, holy shit, I'm going to a concert. Fucking, and Bon Scott before he died, which was fucking insane. I saw it. Blizzard of Oz, you know, Ozzy with Randy Rhodes five times on that tour. Jesus. That's so cool. Yeah. My first I concert was, really also, I was also 12 years old, but it was Metallica on the Load Tour. Korn was uh, main support, and that was, that, was, that was my first concert ever. That's, that's a great show, Korn yeah. and Metallica. It was, it was amazing awesome. here at the, uh, uh, why am I drawing a blank? What's the one? Great Western Forum, the Forum. You've oh, the LA Forum, Forum. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great place to see a show. Yeah, it's it's fantastic, especially since they've redone it. Have you been there since they redid it? No, I haven't been since they redone it. I've, I've seen who I see. I've seen the Foo Fighters there. I saw ACDC there, the Black Ice Tour. Whenever I go to LA, there's always a concert in town. Yeah, so I go see him and stuff. But um, no, and it's just you know, yeah, my kid's still into the metal and stuff, but he's all in the sports now. He's ten years old, so he's hanging out with his friends, but he still knows a good song. He still knows it, you know. And he knows what's bad. Like he hears some, you know, like pop stuff. He's like, "Oh, this is terrible." I'm like, "Good, good." So all good. pop stuff is terrible. So that's what. I, like, how how metal are you? Like, you're are you, like only metal. You, you you mentioned fifties, but is there any other genre where everyone? I like some cl- classic rock. I like some classic rock too. Okay. I you know I never really liked it, but then as you get older, you kind of you know you listen to all those old like Bob Seger records. Yeah. You know, Warren Zevon and shit like that. It's like there's some good stuff. You know the old Stone stuff. I knew some of it, but you when you dig deep. Like there was some great shit there too, so I started getting into you know some old, some more the classic rock shit too. So, uh, yeah. but I just like rock, hard rock. I don't like death metal. I, I kind of cut it off. Like Slipknot is pretty much the heaviest. Yeah, Slipknot, Hatebreed, that kind of stuff. I kind of cut up. I need a little some some melody. You know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, stop. yeah, no, no, that's 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 fair. I mean, each their own and everything. You know, as I stated at the beginning, we've been in several inner circles together, but never actually had a chance to uh, chat directly with you. I know uh, uh, Shadows was on that metal show. Yeah. Uh, towards the end there, and uh, through those things, like everyone considers Avenged Sevenfold like this metal band, and we love metal, so we'll just kind of take it, but. We're really not a metal band. Like anything, like you met Matt, you know, you've seen us around backstage at like the Revolver Awards and stuff. We're the furthest from a metal band when you actually get to know us. And it's, it, it's always funny to me. Like, have you ever, have, have you had that experience with any other acts, like any other metal guys? And like, when you just talk to them, they're completely not metal. That's just the music that they make. Um, I don't know. Probably not. So we're one of you know, like Ozzy's not a metal guy at all. Yeah, yeah. Ozzy, just, Ozzy loves the Beatles. You know, yeah. that's his band. He goes, he goes, I don't even listen to heavy metal. 
I don't even know these bands and all that stuff. But no, other than that, no. I mean, I've seen you guys a bunch of times. I think the last couple of times there was some kind of cancellation or something. I was going to go see you guys in Pennsylvania or something. Some shit going on. But you guys are fucking great. Oh, thank you, man. I really I appreciate that. My nephew's a huge fan of the band. So um, he turned me on to you guys. And that's how I started, you know, getting in VH1's ear and Eddie Trunk's ear. I'm like, Avenged Sevenfold, you got to listen to these guys, man. They're fucking big. You know, oh, and that's oh, how I thank you for that. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah. So I started, like, you know, getting it in there. I'm like, these guys, I'm telling you, man, we got to get some new blood. You know, VH1 always wanted us to, you know, it was great. They wanted us to have the old guys in, but we got to get some new blood in, too. Because a lot of people that like, you know, that like Sabbath, like you guys, too. And I'm like, there's a whole other market out. Because all these guys got kids, yeah. and all their kids are into it. You know, my, my brother... Who was son? He got him into events. Then he got me into it. My nephew. So you know all these. So th- my brother goes to all the shows too. The younger bands with his kid. So uh, no, it was great though. But yeah, I, I think a couple of times you guys are doing something down at Philly for the WMMR shit like that. But no, every time I've seen you, the the crowd. When I saw the crowd, like the kids go fucking nuts when you guys were on stage. I'm like, holy shit! Like <laughs> it was a whole other world to me. You know, I'm used to seeing like Priest and. You know, Sabbath when they come around and Ozzy. And then I'm, I'm like, damn, this is, you know, it reminded me like when I first saw Slipknot, like the, the craziness. Yeah. Of the oh, band. yeah. We got, we got, we got rabid fan base that we've grown up. I mean, they've, they've grown up with us, which is the really cool thing. And to your point of the younger bands, quote unquote, you know, I feel, I feel a little older these days, but uh, like the younger yeah. bands and stuff, like th- there is that gap. And I was talking to Jamie Josta about that on his podcast a couple of weeks ago. And he was saying, like, there's got to be a way. Oh. To introduce, like, there's still metalheads out there, like, that have, for whatever reason, stopped listening to the new stuff and don't know that the new stuff is actually good, whatever you consider new stuff. And there's got to be a way to introduce and the younger kids to the older crowd and the older crowd to the younger kids. There's got to be a way to gap this because it feels like there's like this big gap in between in the metal world right now. Uh, Do you have any ideas? Because we could maybe take that to the bank. (laughs) <laughs> well, I think the, the, the problem is the young kids need to get back in the metal because yeah. they're the ones who are going to fuel it. You know, you have your little minor percentage that do and can you guys could sell a lot of tickets, but you need the more mainstream. Metal hasn't been mainstream in so long. It's, it's kind of crazy. No, I know. So you, need, you really need to like, it needs to come back around again where 20 year olds, a 17 year olds think it's cool. Yeah. You know, and it's not just, you know, rap and hip hop and all that and that shit, you know, in the charts and stuff. And all of a sudden some bands got to break through. I thought that was going to be Greta Van Fleet. Yeah, they, little- they, they were they were they were kicking hot, man. I mean, they're still, you know, they still stay sell out. They're not yeah. doing arenas, but they do like six, seven thousand seats. They sell out. But I thought that would bring maybe bridge and bring the young crowd in, but not so necessarily it's well, all maybe like the myth- sales were just kind of taken out of, out of that with the pandemic i mean they're i mean they were in the thick of it like right when that shit went down you know i mean maybe yeah. that kind of t- took a little wind out of the sales as they say i just don't know like you know it, it, with the award shows there's never any rock bands on there no. you know what i mean anything mtv doesn't you know even acknowledge rock and stuff like that so the young kids are just here just you know pop and you know friggin' cardi b and that shit and drake and like okay i guess this is what i like they don't really have a, I don't, I don't feel they have a passion for music like we did. Yeah. Growing up. Yeah. I mean, I you, you kind of had to go out and find the stuff and now it's just kind of force fed to you now, I guess is the difference. I mean, I had to go out and find the bands that I, that I love, you know, I have two older brothers as well. So I was introduced to right. a lot of music, but some of the music I found on my own, I had to literally go down to the record store or whatever, or CD store, whatever it was at the time, throw on the headphones and listen to all the different samples that like goody music and shit. Yeah. There's, you know, they, um, there's no rebellion. The, the music isn't rebellious. 
mm-hmm. you know, the, 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 the music that's coming out. So, you know, that's what we always latched on. Like if your parents hated it or the teachers or the adults hated it, like, okay, good, then I'm going to like it. Yeah, and I think the times have, obviously it has a lot to do with the times changing. And I'm, you know, the, the rebellious factor is kind of evident in your stand-up comedy. I'm kind of curious as, you know, as the, the landscape of, of society continues to change and gets more PC. Uh, I've seen your stand up. I know, I know your comedy. It is not PC at all, especially for this day and age. So, I, I mean, how do you, how do you adjust to that or do you not? Or you just say, fuck it. This is what, this is, this is what I think is fucking funny. Yeah. I pretty much just say, fuck it. This is what I think is funny. Like I'm at the, I know I'm not going to get a Netflix special. It's not going to happen. You know what I mean? So as long as you put that out, I'm not going to be on Jimmy Fallon doing stand up. You know, I could do a squeaky clean set if I wanted to. So if you push all that, just go, Hey, I'm just going to play to my audience. Yeah. It's almost a punk rock band. I'm just going to build it like that and just go do small theaters and just, and just play to them. It's like, why I'm not going to try to appeal everybody because it, you know, you, even back 20 years ago, if you tried to appeal everybody, you were still going to be like middle of the road. Now, if you try to appeal anybody, what are you going to say? You can't say anything. So you, you literally can't say anything at this point. I think I picked the wrong time to be a podcaster because I'm like having to bite my tongue all the time. It's crazy. I know. But, <laughs> but you know, I'll, I'll tell you one thing, though, and I, I've been asking like the last three years since it's really started like this PC shit's completely out of jail. I always ask the club owners around the country when I go there, I go, more people walking out complaining about the comedy show. They go, no. They go, it's actually less. They go, because people actually do research now. They're not just going to come and go see some comic, which they use. Yeah. So anyone that's super uptight isn't going to be coming to a comedy club anyway. So I, I thought, you know, so no one's really walking out in droves because you do an edgy joke. Yeah. You know, Right. Did you so did I, you have a lot of that though prior to like what what's like some of the edgier joke what what's like the most edgy joke that you've said and like just watch people walk out uh, to your point Well there? I remember I was doing some I did a Bill Cosby reference <laughs> about putting something in someone's drink and the woman said I was talking about rape on stage I'm like all right I go yeah something about I don't know what the joke was something about you know Al Cosby or something like that and she's you know she's complaining to the owner he was making rape jokes. I'm like, okay, if that's what you're going to get out of it, then, then you, you know, but you, really, you, you don't, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, you know, I've had a few people here and there, but you don't really people. I think they know to stay away. Yeah. Well, that would make sense. I mean, I want to go to a comedy club and expect to, you know, I think that's part of comedy is, is putting a nice filter over bad shit. You know, like this is, this is really bad. Uh, we can either just sit there and, and put it in this dark corner or we can talk about it and maybe put a, a nice filter over it, for lack of a better term. Yeah, um, I, I think that the crowds have actually gotten better over the last couple of years because they really want to be entertained. They know what they're going in for. They're like, look, I'm so sick of living in this PC world. My job, I got to be careful. I got to be careful what if I'm a teacher, I can't post a picture of me in a bikini on the beach with my girlfriends, you know, girl teachers get fired over that shit. So really? then when they come to a comedy club, they're like, good. I just want a couple of drinks and hear some dirty jokes and edgy jokes. It's dark in here. I can't get in trouble. And I just need yeah. to laugh, which is great for us. Yeah, no, it's maybe that's the good thing about all this shit is that there, there will be a place still for you to go out and, and enjoy yourself and enjoy somebody else's comedy ab- about it. I bring up the filter, though, because uh, a part of, of I Got the House special, which is on Prime Video, by the way. You mentioned you're not on Netflix, but you are on Prime Video because I, I watched yeah. that on yeah, Prime Yeah, I, I got like two or three, three up there. Yeah, which is fantastic, and I absolutely loved it. Before I get into what I was about to say, I, I, have, to, I have to note, there was in the front row there, there was a Metallica shirt 
But then there was right next to it an Avenged Sevenfold shirt in this special that 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 is all there. <laughs> I yeah, thought that yeah. was kind of cool. <laughs> I know, yeah. They, uh, all the metalheads come out and they always sit right in the front. Like I always know when I got three dudes and you know Iron Maiden shirts, I'm like, okay, this is you know, yeah, this is gonna be a good crowd. Which is, which is great. They're you know they're because they're loyal fans too. If they're loyal about that music, they're gonna be loyal. You know, a fan forever. So yeah, yeah, I remember the event sevenfold shirt in the front. Yeah, yeah. I was I, I was watching back at it, uh, you know, in preparation for this chat, and I was like, oh shit, that's kind of cool. <laughs> but uh, um, anyways, on that, you're kind of uh, making light of your divorce a few years ago, um, and you get into a bunch of these stories. And one of the times you say that like Luke was the one that kind of broke the news. Like I I I was more curious like. Uh, you may have answered this a few times or whatever, but like, I'm more curious after watching that. How do you mean he broke the news to you? Was he like, Oh, uncle so-and-so was over the other day or what the fuck? What, 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 what was yeah, it? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much like, you know, she's my, you know, like, Oh yeah. I was out the uh, lunch with my girlfriend and her kid and my, and you know, our son and we had a great time. And I was, I was, I was just a little fishy about it. And I'm like, and I just went to my kid. He was like four and a half at the time. I'm like, who was that lunch, dad? And uh, this guy, I'm like, what guy? I didn't, uh, some guy. He was there too. Oh yeah. You met him. Oh yeah. I met him a few times. Yeah. I went to the mall with them. I'm like, oh, kids wow. know, man. Oh yeah. Yeah. And they don't have, you know, they're not going to, I'm going to hide this. He didn't know any better, you know, and that's, I just felt up and I said, let me go to him because he was there. And that, yeah, I said, he broke the case, which he did. <laughs> that's amazing. Now, like, as soon as we're done with this chat, I'm going to go talk to my son and be like, is there any other men that have been around? Like, what's going on, bro? <laughs> when they say, when they say the same thing, like three times in a row, that means like they're filling in time. Like it's a lie. And they're just kind of like, when, when you say it three times in a row, who, who was at that lunch? You get a little suspicious. Like, I didn't ask who was there. Yeah. You just volunteering this information. Wow. So towards the end, though, you, you did mention that um, uh, you, got, you and your wife are friends now because, you know, she's, you know she's, the, she's the mother of your child and you need her for that and everything. How is that? I mean, and of course, this is a few years removed from that special. Um, how are things now? Yeah, everything's good. You know, it's, uh, you know. You know, you just, you know, you get a little bumps here and there, but it's good. But I know, like, you know, I always knew as a band, like, if a, if a guy, you know, someone went through a divorce or some something tragic in their life or something like that, that's always a great album to write. You know, the pain in there, whatever you're going through. Yeah, you know, use, so use really it like, as a muse in a way. Yeah, yeah I knew, like, I, when I was a kid, my, my older brothers took me to see Richard Pryor live at the Sunset Strip in a movie theater. And I was fascinated how he was saying, like, he burned himself and he almost died. I'm like, holy shit, almost in tears. And then he's making you laugh 30 seconds later. Fuck, man. I always remember that as a kid. I it wasn't necessarily wanting to be a comic at that time, but I just remembered that. And I'm like, I want to do this thing while it's fresh, while it's still, you know, because now if I do the material, it's not going to work because I don't care anymore. <laughs> I know. I was like, ah, it's just, I'm just mailing it in. But it was, there was yeah. some passion behind that material. Yeah. I, when I, I first started doing it, man, was it angry? Like the first, like I was working that out, you know, in the clubs. Ooh, it was vicious because it just happened. How many, how many times did you work through that material before you, before you made that special? Probably about a year, about a year working wow. the material, you Lock know, uh, doing the sets here and there. But we, it was, I mean, it was vicious in the beginning. Do you think that's, I've talked to a few different comedians about that. And I'm, I don't know that I've asked this question of them. Do you think that it's therapeutic for you? to go to go through this and then and work that out into your set do you think that that helps you out in any way or do you think it's just this is just 
I'm going to live my life. So this is what I got to talk about. No, I think it did. It helped me out just talking about it every night. Cause I was just, you know, my friends were sick of me talking about it. Yeah. So it's good. I can go on stage and talk about it. And I was, I felt real, real passion behind it, you know? So, you know, sometimes, you, you know, when you're playing a song on stage, you guys don't really like playing you're like, all right, uh, this one. Okay. But then you got a new one. You're like, oh, fuck. Yeah. I love playing this one live and look yeah. at the crowd reacting to it. It's the same thing with that, with that material that I was doing. But then when I, I felt like I was, I was moving on from the material, I'm like, I got to record this thing now yeah. because if I wait six more months, it's just not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to feel it anymore. Yeah. It's going to be on. And I don't even, I don't even remember half of those jokes. Like I wouldn't even bring them up now because they don't really even make sense anymore. Yeah. So going back to, you, you mentioned Richard Pryor and uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of Richard Pryor as well. Um, you said that at the time when you were at that, uh, that drive-in and saw, and saw him on Sunset Strip and everything, what, and it didn't click to you at that time that you wanted to be a comedian. When did it click for you and what was the inspiration? I mean, you mentioned Richard Pryor. What are some other people? And even that, I know that the community of of comedians really kind of help each other out at a certain point. And, you know, you're at the comedy clubs and doing stuff and everyone's kind of help, not necessarily helping, but kind of in the community together. Who were some of the mentors early on for you? Well, you know, Richard Pryor, definitely. And then Rodney Dangerfield. I love the the setup punchline that, you know, the one-liners. Because I saw, I saw like David Lee Roth as a kid, just being funny in interviews and just being stupid and stuff like just that. Just being the diamond one. <laughs> being, exactly. It was like a fucking, you know, he was like a, such a character, you know. And then I would go see Twisted Sister when I was a kid and Dee Snyder, like in the clubs before they made it big, they would do like four sets a night. So he'd be riffing for like 20 minutes on stage, just killing time. And yeah. he was really funny. I've seen you know, like a 15-year-old kid sneaking in. And I'm sure I'm like, man, I got to get up on stage somehow or do it. I don't want a nine to five job. I started DJing on the radio. I went to college for communications, did some morning shows. And then I started my own DJ business. I was playing rock clubs. And then once I got on a morning show doing, I was like 22 years old doing a local morning show, but it was like shitty, you know, like Journey and Elton John music. I didn't want to play it. I wanted to play metal. And uh, I, I, like, just wait, wait, wait. I just had to say city shitty Elton John music. <laughs> I'm a big Elton John yeah, at that time. <laughs> and journey. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, I, I respect the music now, but not as a 20 year old. Yeah, no, yeah, I, I get that. Let me have a shift at night where I could play whatever music I wanted after six o'clock. Okay. So from six to nine, I had a metal show. I could bring my own albums in and play whatever the fuck, what, what I wanted. It was amazing. And then they go, I want in the mornings, you get a good voice and all this stuff. And then I had to play the regular stuff they play during the day. And I would crack jokes in between. And like, you can't, don't make jokes. Just tell them the time and the weather and move on. I'm like, well, what am I doing? You know what I mean? That doesn't sound fun. (laughs) It doesn't sound fun. And then when I saw, that's when Kinnison and I started seeing Kinnison with his band, Sam, and then Dice comes out with a leather jacket on telling the dirty jokes. I'm like, that's it. That's what I want to do. Oh, that's, that's incredible! Have you have you um, shared the stage with Dice or, or Kennison or anything like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. I never met Kennison. You know, he passed away what, like ninety three or ninety four or something like that. But uh, Dice, I'm meeting him years later, and I told him why that he's the reason I got on stage and all that. And yeah, I wound up opening for him. He was at my wedding. I'm still good friends with him. Oh, that's which is awesome. great. But I when I saw it, still took me like a year to get the balls to get up on stage. Because I still had stage fright, you know what I mean. I wasn't good at public speaking. I was shy, you know. I wrote. Yeah, I guess of- it's a little different when you're in a studio by yourself, talking into a microphone, than when you're right. like out in front of some people. Yeah, right? you're in a club, a DJ in a club. You're in a booth. Nobody gives a shit, you know. You just play the music. But yeah, so 
But once I went up there once, I knew that's what I wanted to do. I was terrible, but I got, I remember getting one laugh. Some guy heckled me or said something. I said something back and the crowd laughed. And I, that <laughs> jolt I felt was, it was amazing. Well, you just, like, you just, well, you just went full, uh, full Jersey on it. Right. I mean, like someone heckles you, you're like, Oh, I got this. I'm from Jersey. I yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'm used to it. Somebody says, so you walk in a shirt, you walk in a room with a bad shirt on, you're getting a beat down for like 30 minutes. <laughs> you are. Uh, we, we, trust me, I know. I've toured through, I, I think, I think Jersey and Philly both, like early on, were, were some of our favorite and hated shows of all time because we'd get up and we'd be heckled. And, and you, know, we're, you know, we're not all in front of microphones. We're not comedians and everything, so you can't just fire back. But, so there's times when they heckle you and you just, and if, if they hit you really good, you just kind of hang your head and go, God damn it, that was a good one. <laughs> right. So like in between a song, you can hear people yelling from the crowd. Exactly. It was always in and Jersey and Philly. Mind. Jersey and Philly got us good every fucking time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, you know, growing up there, so I, I came back with whatever it was and that's what I knew. I'm like, this is what I want to do. That's what you want to do. That was the rush that you got. But um, from DJing I, and being a comedian, uh, a comedian rather, I remember seeing you on Howard Stern. And I say see you because on uh, the E! channel that's huge now, I had it on basic cable years ago when I was like 12 years old. And late night, it was actually you know, a show of Howard Stern on. And you'd come on there every once in a while. How did, how did that whole thing meet and... Uh, you know, are you still friends with Howard these days? Like, what, what's going on? That was, uh, that was the break I needed. I was probably doing comedy eight years. You know, just doing clubs here and there, trying to make a name for myself. Nothing really going on, you know. And then I got a big break to go on there. Um, I, put, I put a prank call CD out of, like, messing with telemarketers. And I gave it to the producer, Gary, the producer at the show. And he goes, all right, if it's funny, I'll, uh, we'll, I'll play it. I'm like, yeah, right, okay, he ain't going to play it. And the next day, he started playing the calls on the air. He's like, who is this guy? We got to have him in. Man, he's funny. And then, like, three months later, I'm sitting in on the show, and then I become a regular and start, you know, selling out clubs yeah. before I was, you know, drawing nobody, basically, you know, just struggling as the feature act. And then all of a sudden, you know, he's giving me plugs, and I'm playing wherever. He was so big at the time. There was, like, 20 million people listening to him. And he took a liking to me, you know, so it was amazing. No, I'm, I'm sure that was, like, I mean, that's And I was a huge fan just growing up listening to him. I was working totally. construction sites. We'd have the radio on, and I tell everybody on the site, you cannot put any power source on why he's on the air. Wait till the commercial. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't want to miss any of the show. So just to be in there, <laughs> like, because right. it was so crazy. I mean, at 12, watching that on E, you were like, this is like soft porn, right? Oh, it totally was. Like, everyone's, was well, there was times, there was times where literal porn stars would come on. I didn't know who they were at the time. I mean, right. this, is before, this is before the internet porn is as big as it is now. Let's put it yeah. that way. Like, I mean, I, I had to, like sit there and watch something download for an entire day for five minutes of porn like this was this was like not yeah not not, not but just a, like a regular girl coming in taking her top off yeah I'm and like, i had no idea who it was and like then you find out later it's jenna jameson i was like what yeah what i know <laughs> i know it's crazy i was in the studio one time when jenna jameson rode the sibian oh you were there yeah remember they had that machine the yeah Sibian. yeah yeah, I was in studio. It was like the it was like the two weeks in it a serious. So, you, so in your stand up, you you mentioned that you kept uh, your, your your dick in your pants the entire time you were, you were wed. Were you married at this time when Jenna Jameson came in? Uh, no, I had a girlfriend, but no, she wanted nothing to do with me. <laughs> no, yeah, I was, no, I was fucking, you know. <laughs> she, uh, no, she, I, I wish it would have been great. Yeah, yeah. And how close in proximity to this this ride were you? Twenty feet. Nice. <laughs> and I was standing too because I wanted to get a good view. 
it was unbelievable. We were all just like <laughs> standing up, like, oh my God, just watching her. You know, it's it's so funny because watching back some of that stuff or listening back to some of that stuff, you can hear you as a regular and some of the other regulars when that shit goes down. Everyone's losing their mind. And Howard just has a way of keeping his cool about it. And I was wondering, does he freak out like after he's after he hits stop? Or is he is he just like he's like unfazed nah, he's just by kinda it. like, hey man, this is great. He's just playing to the audience. He's like, yeah. that was great. I know, I know those dudes drive around in their cars and this is gonna be great on the E show on TV. It's a great yeah. visual. You know, so yeah, he wasn't like that at all. Like just real quiet off the air and just go, Yeah, that was a good segment, you know. That's amazing. That's a, that, that's a, I mean that's that's the true professional. I mean now with this Sirius XM, I mean he's got two channels now. I believe is, is one hundred yeah, and one hundred one. Long time, yeah, yeah. And you're on you're on Aussie's Boneyard, and yeah. every Thursday. So I had to ask a question. You, you go back and you you know in this week of history, this album came out. You do a lot of that. Uh, so I yeah. got to ask you. I mean we're recording. Um, it won't be out for a little while, but we're recording on. Friday the fifth of March. Off the top of your head, what what album came out this week? Um, Master of Puppets came out this week. Did it? March third, nineteen eighty six. Well, that's a fucking great one. That's a great one to throw out of the hat right there. Yeah, yeah, that one came out, and the one I was the ones I was playing. I think they came out last week. Was uh, Motorhead nineteen sixteen? Nice. Alice Cooper, Billion Dollar Babies. Um, Judas Priest, Point of Entry. And that that the- record was always funny. Like, uh, you know, the, a lot of the metalheads and everybody like talks about that record. It's a great record. But the cover, before he outed himself, there's the cover of this point of entry record. And, you know, hindsight, I look at it and go, duh. Like, <laughs> the cover of that record and, what it, and the title of it, point of entry. <laughs> yeah, there, was two, there was actually two covers. There yeah. was a, a European cover. Which was different than the American one with the. the oh, was there? Okay. Yeah, there was two, but yeah, no, there was a lot of stuff looking back. Alfred, you know, eat me alive and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I fucking love that. I just love that. I love the hindsight because, like, at the time, I mean, especially early on, like everyone, a lot of people in the metal community were so anti-gay and everything like that. It's just like you look back at it, you're like, some of your heroes, buddy. You know, like, just <laughs> let it go. Yeah, but you know what? I'll tell you, man. Well, you know, when Halford came out, everyone, you know, like the whole general public, all the metalheads are going to hate him because he's gay now. And nobody cared. Yeah. Not one person that I know that's a metalhead cared. That's good. Yeah. I, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't part of that generation. I mean, no one cares now, but like, I wasn't. Yeah, part nobody, of nobody. The old metalheads didn't care. Good. Now, one I'm glad to hear that. I want to see Halford. They didn't care. Yeah. That's and I knew that about like like all right, that's fine. Still a great singer. <laughs> Doesn't change uh, that shit. <laughs> he's a great dude too. Yeah. And my, I was on uh, Eddie Trunk show on his radio show when my wife at the time was pregnant with my son, and Halford was the guest, and he rubbed the belly. He goes, "This kid's gonna be a metal baby." He rubbed their belly. My and son then Evil him. Pumpkin came out, and he was fucking. I know. Right. And then Evil Pumpkin at five. <laughs> that's fucking rad dude so you you've talked to like everybody like a bunch of fucking i mean you guys have had everybody in the, in the sun on that metal show ozzy's boneyard who has been a, a moment that you maybe kind of pinched yourself when you were talking to him and we're like kind of like oh fuck like i remember when i went to the store and bought this vinyl and fucking now i'm sitting here having a conversation with the dude there was so many of them i mean every every season was somebody different i think like Maybe season one, we had Ace, uh, Angus and uh, Brian Johnson on together. Oh, that's right. Um, you know, then we had Steve Harris from Maiden. Steve's such a good dude. I love that dude. Phenomenal. Such a nice guy. 
great guy. Uh, you know, we had Bill Ward on from Sabbath, Giza Butler, Tony Iommi. You know, Sabbath's my favorite all-time band. You know, and then we have Tom Morello from Rage. I'm a huge Rage fan. Great dude. Yeah. You know, um, it just every every season was somebody different. You know, I grew up a huge Ted Nugent fan. I don't care what he says. I don't want to listen to people's politics, whether it's Tom Morello and stuff like that. I never cared about that stuff. Like, I'm, if, if the music's good. And just be, Ted coming on the show and going up there and playing guitar and, and just being funny and stuff like that was great. So, yeah. You know, so it's just uh, every every year, every season, I'm like, you got to be kidding me. There's Paul Rogers from Bad Company, a legend. Yeah. You know? yeah. Fucking, I mean, you guys, like I said, you guys have had fucking everybody. It, it, and then Corey really Taylor cool. from Slipknot, one of the nicest guys in the so, business. Yeah. He's a great dude. Like, we, we've done great we've dude. done a lot of toys together. With Stones, we, we, we did Stone Sour and Slipknot stuff together. It's actually yeah. an ongoing joke because we kind of, for a while there, it'll be different now, but for a while there, we were releasing albums at different times and we'd have like 80% of the crew was like the same crew that came over. Like when they'd go to write a new record and got off the road, that's when we would be going out and we'd like have like 80% of the same crew and stuff. It's just, oh, really? It's, funny. It's, re- it's pretty funny. It's just like a, and it took us a while to realize it. We were like, I was talking to the crew members and they're like, oh yeah, when we were out with uh, Slipknot, I was like, oh, you were out with Slipknot too? Wait, you were out with Slipknot too? You were out with, oh shit. We just have like the same fucking crew out here. <laughs> it's pretty wild, man. Um, speaking on that metal show, though, how, how many years has it been off the air now? 2015. So we're going on like six years now. Yeah. So in the, and, and you're, you're no stranger to the podcasting business. You've been doing it for 11 years. You got your podcast. Uh, uh, everybody is awful. Is out, is, everyone can listen to that right now. It's streaming everywhere. Have you talked to Eddie and the other guys? Is there a possibility? And probably that someone else has asked this question, but do you ever think you could do like that metal show as a podcast and just like keep bringing people back on and doing that kind of thing? We could do it. I mean, Eddie does a bunch of shows. He's got a show on uh, Sirius on volume, that volume channel, whatever he does a mm-hmm. Monday through Friday. He's got another show. He's got a ton of stuff going on. What we'd really like to do if we're going to do it right and bring it back the way we originally did we had you know there was some definitely some feelers out there before the coronavirus hit we had some momentum where people were interested in bringing it back but then you know everything shut down and who knows what's going to happen when you know when things open back up and the people are still interested but there was definitely some talk of it coming back but we really want to be in a studio pretty much like the same way we did it yeah i don't know if it's in a podcast form i don't know you know, I think it works more, you know, and it'd be easy to shoot. It's not going to cost a ton of money either. We just find a studio. We go, you know, come to LA for a couple of weeks. You know, that's what we, most of the time we, we came out to LA for like two weeks. All the, all the guys live out there and we, you know, they're right down the street. So it was easy to book the show and stuff. So, well, a lot of the guys and a lot of comedians have uh, started moving to these places that are starting to open up more like Texas and, and everything have you have you thought about leaving jersey so that you can go touring around and or is it no because i could still you know jersey's open a little and the state's around and florida's you know i'm doing i'm starting to tour down in florida starting in april and stuff but uh now i'm pretty much here you know jersey's where i grew up and stuff so it's not as bad as la yeah where not you know the, the clubs have been open 25 percent since like late august have you been so down to the com- how many i'm sure you have how many times have you done the comedy store um, you know, when I would come to LA, I'd go up and do it. Pro- I probably did it 20 times. I, I mean, it seems like it, it's doing okay now, but I, there was like a moment where everyone was worried that it was going to shut down here in LA because it, oh, yeah. it, it was going to be for so long. I mean, do you have fond memories and like, would that, I mean, 
you're from Jersey. I get it. But like uh, for West Coast comedians, I mean, that's that's a that's a staple, you know. So, I mean, did you did you hear any of this noise that was going on about six, seven months ago? And and how did it make you feel if you did? What about it closing? Yeah, the potential. It's it's going to well, be fine now, obviously. But like it was, well, you know, it, it, it had a moment like I don't know what years it was, maybe. Probably some may, if I'm, I might be off a little, like 2007 to like 2011, mm-hmm. where it was dead. I remember going to see Dice Dare when I come to town, and he playing. There'd be like six people in the crowd. Like he wasn't advertised ahead, but there'd be nobody in the place. It was mm-hmm. dead, and it did for a long time. And then Joe Rogan started coming back to the comedy store, and the thing came live. And then every every time I was out there for the last five years, every room was sold out every night. Three different rooms, yeah. places insane, doing two shows a night. It was crazy. And then, you know, the coronavirus hit and it hasn't been open yet since last March. Yeah. So I, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, LA seems like it's, it's even further behind than where other people are with opening and stuff. You know, they don't really have the, sp- the space to do it outside. Yeah. They don't no, have they to have that little parking lot. So they can't even do outside shows. So I don't know. I'm hoping, you know. Well, Tony, a uh, good friend of the show, Tony Hinchcliffe, was doing some outdoor shows because he does like a, a regular uh, stay like every Monday night there. Yeah. And he was saying he was like the, the parking lot's open. He was like, anytime you want to come down. And, you know, when I talked to him, it was like in the thickest stuff. And I was like, I'm not leaving the house, but I appreciate the offer. <laughs> but now, now Tony moved to Austin, so he's doing exactly. it there. Exactly. So yeah, that's, that, exactly. That's, what, that would, that, that's what begged the question is like, have you considered that? Because a lot of the comedians are moving to as I said, Texas, Florida, Mississippi, all these places that just released like a complete no mask clause. So, I mean, and yeah. how do you feel about that, by the way? If, if you well, I'm lucky, that I, I'm lucky that I'm not an act where I could, where I could sell 5,000 tickets in a theater. You know, so me playing in front of 40 people, like it's not, it's not that bad. Not that I always play in front of 40, but I, I'm not, you know, it's not killing me. Like, you know, these headline bands like, that sell 17,000 tickets, like, you know, you, I'm sure you played that place, uh, PNC Art Center in Jersey. Oh, yeah. I, I know PNC very well. So I live 20 minutes from there. I go to shows there oh, all the awesome. time. My friend said that Megadeth and Lamb of God are playing there this summer, and the cheapest ticket is 200 bucks. Shit. So, you know, the lawn tickets used to be 10 bucks, 15 bucks there. I don't even know if the lawn's open, probably, but he said the cheapest ticket is 200 bucks. Well, that makes like, a lot of sense because a lot of people are talking about when things get back to normal and, and concerts are being announced for the summer and hopefully they'll go on. But a lot of people don't understand the business side of it where, uh, you know, it's great to put these shows back on and get back on, but there's so much people to pay and there's so many hands in that, in that, uh, that thing that, uh, you know, economically someone's got to pay for it. You know what I mean? Like, and these, these added things that are going to have to happen naturally, you know, as things start to come back, they're going to be extra costs to the fans. They're going to be extra costs to the bands. It's, it's, it's kind of a big mess even to get it started as early as this summer. That's why I say with hesitation, maybe it'll happen. Like, but when you get, everyone wants it to happen. Don't get me wrong. I, I'm dying here. I want to get the fuck back out there. But when you talk about the logistics and the reality of it, there's so many fucking things to consider. And I, I know that the average fan, not no, no knock on them, don't understand that. And why would they? But it's just, it's kind of hard to explain those kind of things. Right. But think about it like a band that would sell 17,000 tickets there if it's at 50% capacity by the summer. Mm-hmm. Right now, New Jersey's 35%. So if it's at 50, that's 8,500 tickets. If they're used to selling 17,000, they got to pay their crew, the trucks, everything else. 
they got to raise the ticket price because they can only sell half the place. Absolutely. Most fans aren't going to come just to play in front of 3000 people when they could have played in front of 17. Yeah. And a lot of people don't, they, you know, they, they, they see the ticket price and they go, Oh, that's going straight to the band. You know, in Avenged Sevenfold alone, like we have three buses full of crew members that were like, it's not, it's, you know, there's a certain yeah. level when you get to a level, it's like you're literally in charge of other people's livelihood. And I don't think a lot of people can, and I don't, I don't expect them to understand that. And it's not that. It's just like, sometimes I want to say like, you know, it's not like you're giving Johnny Christ fucking 200 bucks in his pocket. There's a lot of shit that goes, that goes before that happens, you know? Yeah. No, I know. Um, I don't know. You know, I did, like as a comic, it's easier for us than, a, than a band because we could just show up. It's just one person showing up. All we need is a microphone. We don't have to bring a crew with us. So, you know, it's, it's, it's easier for me to go out and do some, some dates. You know, most of the places, you know, Florida's wide open. So, I, you know, I haven't been down there. You know, I'm doing some dates in April. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, you know, I'm a little hesitant, but I, I, I got to get back out there at some time. Hopefully I'll have the vaccine by then. It'll be a little safer. And if I got it, then I'll, I'll feel comfortable. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's all about, you know, as, as things start to get back to normal, everyone's comfortability, right? I mean, everyone, like, seems to, like, choose these sides, like, so black and white over the issue, and it's just so silly to me. I'm just like, it's everyone's comfortability. Like, if you're comfortable doing something, like, yeah, maybe you're being a little selfish, but that's not for me to say. Like, that's... Right, like, I'll, I know, like, I won't do meet and greets or, you know, merchandise after mm-hmm. the show, because then it's like, Drunk people you know, yelling on your face, no mask. So it's like, okay, well, I could show up, I could go on stage, do it, and then just go backstage, and yeah. that's it. So you, you know, you just know, okay, I could do that stuff. Yeah. But then you're on a plane and you're sitting next to somebody, but it doesn't seem like it's spreading on a plane because I'm sure the media would, you know, would love to report that 17 people on a Delta flight got coronavirus going to LA. <laughs> they would I'm love sure to talk about that. You know what I mean? They, they they would pounce on that in a second. You know like, what the you know the biggest travesty of of this to me, and this is kind of a joke, but uh, I'll say it anyway. Being on a plane, like my my tour manager is like, "Hey, uh, do you ever want to be on a plane again if they don't serve alcohol?" And I literally responded, "Fuck no." Right. <laughs> <laughs> so there's yeah. no way in hell I'm getting on a fucking a vessel that's flying that high in the sky without a fucking without some kind of drink. There's just no yeah, fucking I know they're not, um, they're not, yeah, they, I know uh, United stopped doing that. I think all the airlines did. Yeah, they did. Yeah. A couple of my buddies were, that have flown and stuff were like saying like, oh yeah, you just bring on the little, the little thing and you just drop your mask and shoot it real quick. I'm like, that, that defeats the purpose of me. I like to have a drink and relax on the plane. Like, exactly. You don't want to sit and you know what a person next to you is going to, you know, say he had his mask down because he's drinking a little uh, airplane bottle of booze. Yeah. I mean, I you did know. that the first time we went to to England ever. There was like a really sweet really sweet french stewardess we fell in love with her she was so nice to us and she literally brought me like a bag of those little jack daniels things by the end of the flight really? like, it was like, just us and like by the end of it me and me and jimmy the rev were just like when we landed i don't even know how the fuck we got through customs it was amazing <laughs> but uh speaking of booze though uh, I, I, I got to ask you, what, what is your favorite drink uh, of choice? Are you a beer, wine, whiskey guy, uh, any, any of those things? Or, or you, maybe you don't like to drink. I don't know. No, I like to drink. Um, I pick my spots when I drink. Because okay. I know I, I, that's why I never lived in New York City, because I knew I'd be an alcoholic. <laughs> Manhattan, <laughs> man, uh, those bars don't close till 4.30 in the morning. I love that. 4.30 place, in the morning, you get in a cab or a subway, you don't have to get behind a wheel. I knew to live in Jersey outside New York City, 
So then I can only have one or two beers at most because I had to drive home. Yeah. That's my sanity. Even on the road, it's like all about the show for me. So I'll, you know, I might pick a night to drink or something like that, but I never went crazy with it. I always liked the nice little buzz so I could talk to girls. That was always my theory. <laughs> I need a little buzz on to get some balls to go up to a girl and start talking to her. Yeah, but, and, and you don't want to like slobber all over either. You don't want to be on the other side. There's, you pick that fine line. Yeah, and I, I don't like to get drunk where I just pass out. That, to me, yeah. that's no fun. Yeah. I don't know. I just never it can did. Be. You, what, are you saying you've never done that, though? No, I have. I've had that. <laughs> stuff, but it's just like, just to wake up the next day feeling like shit. I drank beer, so I went to see this Black Sabbath tribute band last week. Awesome. It was the first band I saw since March. And where um, was this at? Like what what venue? It was, was in it? Jersey. They had like an outdoor patio, it was freezing. Jesus, yeah, it's gotta be fucking cold as shit. I'm in Southern California, like but it degrees out, but you know, you just friggin' put on some extra clothes and stuff, but they play and they were on they were amazing. Rad. I mean, but um and I drank beer and I had a friggin' headache the next day. I had like five or six beers. Well, what kind was- of beers were you drinking? Just, I don't know, like Coronas, whatever the fuck they had there, you know, but uh, I, I, I drink vodka now. I'll go with vodka. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that, that's the clean one. Vodka sodas, you know, you, a little bit less of a hangover. I, I, yes, I, I, I usually stick with that. But then when you're in a bar, they give you like a little cup of it. It's just not, like at a concert. Yeah. I can't, I can't drink a vodka soda cause it's a little plastic cup. Like you get a big Coors Light. Yeah. You get you're going Totally. And you're, you don't want to have to keep going back to the fucking bar and waiting in that line. You don't want that time. either. So, so um, yeah, usually vodka soda I'll, I'll do. Uh, you, know, I, you know, I was friends with Vinny, Vinny uh, Paul, and Dimebag. Yeah, yeah. I never and, met Dime. I was, I'm good, I was good friends with, with Vinny. I, I loved him. How fucking great was Vinny? Vinny's the fucking best, man. One of the nicest guys in the business. Such Both a, of them. Dimebag, too. You, you got know, any good Dimebag stories in? I'm, I might have cut uh, you off the, there. Are you about to go into the Crown into Royal? The Crown Royal, that guy would fucking drive. <laughs> oh, yeah. He, he, they, Vinny and Dime loves comedy. They always come to comedy. When they had a night off in any town, they'd go to a local comedy club. Yeah. So they came to see me in Dallas. This is like the damage plan days, you know, after Pantera broke up and they were out. So that's when I, 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 start, I you know, yeah. started hanging with them and I'd go to shows. I went on tour with them for like five days. So I'll never forget we're backstage in like Philly or whatever. And um, I knew I got, if you're going to drink with Dimebag, do not have any alcohol whatsoever before you see him. Cause you are going to be, <laughs> he's going to give you 10 drinks in an hour and you got to drink them. You don't want to like uh, uh, give, give a little pre couple of beers. Like you need to go talk to someone. You're like, he's going to get, you, gonna get you there anyway. He's going to get, I would, I would be at the, I'll be at the, um, uh, at the sand. I'd be at the, um, buying popcorn, buying sandwiches, just bread and my stomach, just patting, patting my stomach, waiting to drink with Dimebag. <laughs> Having like three pretzels. I'm like, I, I'm, I'm ready. And as much bread in awesome. me. So that booze up. So we go backstage. They just finished. He goes, he goes, here, here's a shot of Jaeger. Drink it. I drink it. He goes, come on, you got to catch up. Here's another one. He gives me five shots of Jaeger within like, Two and a half minutes. I just got like a little shudder right now, just thinking about five bro- shots yeah. Jaeger. So and I'm, just like, <laughs> and I'm like, I, I could feel it already. I'm like, I'm gonna puke. He, nobody does five shots in a row that shit. So then he goes, all right, here's one more. There's one more shot. I go, you drink this? No, you drink it. You gotta catch up. So I'm like, I'm holding the shot. I go, I, I'm gonna fucking puke. So he starts talking to some record rep or whatever like that, and he's talking to him over there, and I'm like, and I pull like a high school move. I suck it behind like a speaker. No, the full shot. I didn't yeah. want to drink. And then he then he looks over like a minute later. He goes, where's that shot? I go, I drank it. He goes, no, you didn't. I go, yeah, I did. Oh, he sniffed you out. 
Yeah, and I go, I drank it. He goes, where? Where? And he starts looking around the room for the shot. Like a maniac, like the guy's talking about some business, you know, yeah. about the next album. He doesn't even give a shit. He's just wondering what I did with that shot. And he finally, he finds it behind a speaker. goes, look at this. You didn't drink it. He, <laughs> he called me out. And I go, and I just go, um, I go, I didn't want to drink alone. And he didn't even miss a beat. He goes, George Thorogood drinks alone. I go, oh, yeah. one bourbon, one shot, one beer. <laughs> Not even one. One scotch, one beer, beat. sorry. <laughs> I did, you know, I go, no, I don't want to drink alone. George Thorogood don't drink alone. I'm like, all right, you're right. And I fucking drank that one. I wound up <laughs> passing out of my car on the street in Philadelphia, puking. <laughs> I didn't even come home that night. My girlfriend thought I cheated on her. She's like, you were out all night. You didn't even call. I couldn't drive home. You're like, even if I had, I wouldn't remember it. She's like, you're in your third. <laughs> you're doing this anymore. You're sleeping in your car. There's puke all over. You got to go, I know, I know. But I hung out with Dimebag and Vinny. Yeah. I think, I think anyone who knew anything would know that. <laughs> know what that there meant. There was another time, I guess, there were some band was opening for him. I forget, some newer band was, was going to go on the road with Damage Plan. They were the first band on. Mm-hmm. And they got in town the night before, the first night of the tour. And the singer's like, hey, man, I hear your legendary drink, and I want to have a drinking contest with you. He goes, I could drink just as much as you. And Dime's like, okay, oh, it's yeah. on. That's a terrible idea. Within an hour and a half, the guy's puking, and he, and he was gone. He was missing. There was a singer in a band, and Dimebag's looking for him the whole night. They went to a strip club. They come back. He's, where's that motherfucker? He's going on the bus. He can't find him. He's mad because the guy just disappeared after like an hour and a half. And Dime, you know, had like seven or eight. He's like, come on, where are you? Yeah. He's looking in the parking lot. He finds him in a car next to, to tour buses, passed out in the front seat, out cold. So Dimebag gets a shot of Jägermeister off the bus, opens the door, opens the guy's mouth and pours another shot down his <laughs> <laughs> Of course. That's what you do. I thought I thought we were gonna have a contest, motherfucker. I love so yeah. I love those dime stories. I've heard a few of them. I mean, especially from Vinny. As I said, I never had the pleasure of meeting Dime. Rest in peace. And of course Vinny, rest in peace now too. But like uh hanging with Vinny, I think I got a little glimpse of some of that. Like we did we did a lot of hell yeah tours together and uh Hanging out at, at at his strip club in Dallas and and uh, oh. a few others that you know when we're just out on the road and and the barbecues they'd have after right they'd, yeah just such and a the fireworks oh the fucking fireworks I'm- so good <laughs> it, it, like dude everything was just a fucking party man he was like you wake up to sober up real quick and then go fucking play some drums and then get right back to partying it was just it was. You know, and and also very intelligent. I don't. I don't mean to say all that to be like, oh, that's all. That's all it was. It was there was a lot of intelligence behind behind that head. That was, you know, that was all there and just such a good, just a good human being. You know, that no, it was great because they used to have a, on their rider on their bus a case of Pedialyte. Yeah. So I remember being on the bus with Dimebag. Everybody drink their Pedialyte before you go to bed. He'd make you drink it in front of you like you were taking medication. No, it's it's it's, it's brilliant. Uh, the Rev before his passing, him him and Vinny were were becoming real tight, and we had fucking Pedialyte on the rider after that. Like we'd have it like you know those those drawers underneath the the the, the couches and the buses and stuff. Those yeah. drawers you pull out full of fucking Pedialyte. Like, Pedialyte. That's that's life changing shit right there. <laughs> and then when I saw Vinny, you know, a few years back, he he switched to pickle juice. He goes, "No, pickle juice is even better." I don't. I, I wasn't there for that one. I don't remember the pickle yeah. juice. <laughs> pickle juice is even better than that. It's a better. Forget the Pedialyte. Pickle juice is even better. I'm like, okay, pickle juice it is. <laughs> Whatever it is, let's go for it. <laughs> But it was just it was so much fun. Like after the show, they would kick ass. Hell yeah. 
Vinny a monster on drums. And then they would have a barbecue out back. Yep. Vinny would be grilling. They'd be shooting fireworks off and cranking like old Van Halen. Yeah. You know, it was amazing. I'm like, this is the best. Dude, so for for my life in Avengers, my life touring, there was two experiences like that. One was with like Vinny and then like doing warp tours with all the punk rock bands. That's how the punk rock world was living like all the time. And in between there that we did like some tours with some metal bands and stuff. And it was very different until again, we hung out with Vinny and hell yeah. It was like, Oh my God, there are metal heads that still want to do this kind of fucking fun shit. Like, like that's, I just want to have fun. Like that's, you know, that's, that's what it, that's what you strive for. It's what I did yeah. when I picked up the bass when I was 12 years old and spent countless hours, like, it was, like, in my head, like, one day I'm just going to be able to have fun with this shit, you know? Yeah, it's, especially, look, you do your hour and a half on stage, whatever it is, but then afterwards, you you know, you got to wind down a little, you know, so have a little fun before you go to bed or whatever, because it's grueling, you know, being on the road and being on the tour bus and all Absolutely. that shit, you know what I mean? So any way you can find fun, whatever you can do, you know, is great, and that's those guys always made it fun after the shows. Yeah. And, and as you said, it's part of like a lot of people. Going, oh, well, how do you not go to bed till four o'clock in the morning? Well, fuck, I got off stage at fucking 12. Takes me <laughs> that energy rush takes a second to go down, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. You got that adrenaline. When I do shows, I don't go to bed till like two in the morning. Yeah. If I, don't I was going to ask. I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to ask, like, how is that in the comedy world? Like when you're I mean, you're on right. Like when you're on stage and especially like you're not running, not necessarily running through the motions with a song or something like that you're you're waiting for a heckler you're 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 speaking you're, you're you know your brain's got to be on fire at this time so what's that like you know what what is your routine afterward i know we could hear about the routines a million times before what's the routine afterward the routine is afterwards you know you got a, a huge adrenaline rush you just can't go home and go to sleep mm-hmm. like you're still wired from the show so it takes a while you know, so it's a big adjustment. You know, when I was off to, for comedy, you know, for like four months or in the beginning of the pandemic, and then finally I started going out and doing some like outdoor shows. I, it was weird because I couldn't get to bed till like one thirty two. I was used to going to bed at ten thirty. I never did that in twenty five years. Yeah, go to bed at ten thirty, get up at seven thirty. But that's what I would. And then all of a sudden I'm doing show. Like I'm going to do a show tonight. I'll probably be up till two in the morning. Last night I didn't do one. I went to bed at ten. You know, like eleven. I know no. it's a pandemic, and you're, you're saying you're going to be up to like two. I'll be up too. So if you want to FaceTime me, you need someone to talk to. I'll, I'll be there for you, yeah. buddy. You know Sam Tripoli, the comic from uh, L.A. Uh, I, I'm not. I, I've heard the name. I'm not. I've never met him. Or I'm okay, because he's a comedy store regular. He puts those shows on there a lot. He's in town in Jersey. Oh, cool. So we're gonna, I'm going to go check him out tonight. You know, and uh, go hang with him. I haven't seen him in a while. Oh, that's he's awesome. Dude. But um, yeah. So, but yeah, it does take me a while. Look, when you're on stage for me. I'm almost like Peyton Manning at the line. Like, you know, you're looking at the defense, you're pointing over here. Okay, this shit joke didn't work. Maybe I'm, this shit's too edgy, too early. I got to win them over for a little bit. Let me move this over here. Let me move this section back over here because it might be, they might be a little more rowdy or so let me do some rowdy material up front to get them on my side. Yeah. So you're always thinking when you're up there, which I love doing because I, I know I can't mail it in. You got to be cognizant of, of everything going on, like you just said, the quarterbacking it. Last question there, though. Uh, you you brought up football, so I'm going to ask you: How are you feeling about your Jets this off season? No, I'm a Miami fan. <laughs> From Jersey, a Miami fan, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I told my kid growing up when he was growing up, I said, "Listen, you can root for any team you want. 
Okay, I'll, I'll go to the games with you. I'll sit and watch the games with you. The only team, the professional sports team you cannot root for is the Jets. Because <laughs> you have a life of misery and you're going to blame it on me. And I won't sit there and watch Jet games. <laughs> you're, one of, you're one of the smart ones, man. You're one of the smart ones. <laughs> I went to a divisional rivalry and just said, nah, fuck it. I ain't, ain't going to do the Jets. <laughs> All my friends like Jets and Mets fans, and they're just miserable. They, they're, you know, for decades. Pick a pick a better team. So he likes Miami too. I, when I was a kid, my uncle lived down in Florida. He would send me all this dolphin shit in the mail. Yeah. He was, just, just he was, trying, like to, he was trying to help you out, man. He was just trying to help you out. He was, and thank God, because if I would have been a Jet fan, forget it. I would have been miserable. But uh, <laughs> no, I'm a huge football fan. I love watching the NFL. Yeah. Oh, it's, it, right. it, I'm so glad they were able to finish the season and we got a Super Bowl this year. That, that was, was great. Was, I mean, they, you know, fantastic. they had a little bumps in the road. They had to play a couple. Of, I like the Monday at like five o'clock games. Probably, well, it's like two o'clock your time. But yeah. I love those double headers on Monday. They had a game on Tuesday. I loved it. No, I mean, we're all sitting at home. You know, like they were they were doing their best to keep us entertained, and I I really appreciate what they what they were. Yeah, and I didn't really miss the fans not being in the stadium. Yeah, a lot of people complain like, oh, they're going to put like crowd noise in. Like, what the fuck do you think they should do? Do you want to watch it completely? Like, it can't be that dry. Some of them were the crowd noise was a little too loud. I'm like, who's fucking working that? Yeah, they got to turn it down. I go, it was an incomplete pass, and it's like, well, that was the DJ in you coming out. You're like, I I I I can mix this better. I know. The mix was bad. It was like it was like the Saint Anger mix. It was bad. Oh shit! I, but, but you had way, to bring that up. I think ever that defended that album. The shit I took on that metal show. I still think it's a good album. It's, it's a, I, I loved it. I love that record, man. It's it's so underrated. And the only thing really is that snare drum. I I mean I I and you get used to it. You know what I mean? At first year, kind of like, it's, after you get used to it, and if you appreciate it for what it is, you kind of go like. All right, I could see why they would do that because they were trying something different. You know, that's that's the great thing about Metallica and becoming friends with them over the years. Like, they're they're never afraid, which is what makes them fucking awesome in a lot of ways. Look, you guys do the same thing with your albums. Thank you. You guys do the same, and I like that. You know, I'm a big Black Sabbath fan. You listen to those records; well, every one is different. Yeah, you know, you don't. I mean, you know, I was thinking about this the other day, though, real quick, Jim. Um, There's there's certain bands that have been able to keep the same sound or the same formula for decades now and be successful. I look at them and I'm like, damn, I don't know how you did that. Cause that is, I think that is almost more incredible than what we do, which is right in the moment and everything like that. Like, of course we write in the moment and that's what we want to do. But when you look at someone who has this longevity of doing the same thing over and over and continue to get new fans on top of it. It's that's something different. That to me, that is something very unique. Like there's uniqueness in what we do, but to me, that is like as when you look at it as a career, there's something very unique about that. Without a doubt, like you know, three bands come to mind to me: ACDC, Motorhead, and Slayer. Those are the ones. That is Those exactly. are the ones. It's amazing. Like even a new ACDC record, the one they put out in November, it's, it's great stuff on there. Dude, like, when you is- listen back to I was listening to it on the golf course. I was, I was golfing. Like my buddy was like, oh, did you hear the new ACDC record? I was like, I didn't even know the fuck it was out. So I played it while I was on the golf course. And I was like, shit, man, it's ACDC. I'm fucking stoked. <laughs> you can never go wrong with yeah, putting them on. Yeah, they'll never let you down. Like any song could be on any album pretty much. Yeah. You can interchange every song on every album. In, yeah, in, a lot of, in a lot of respects. I mean, I'm sure when, when, when they sit down and write, like it might be a little different to them here and there, but like 
just to us listeners, it's it's very much it's it's just who they are, and it's just so yeah. cool to like as a listener. It's just so cool to like hear some of the like those three bands just do it over over and over in a in a new way. But like it's still it's just their DNA, and that's when you know yeah. no one's faking the funk. Like it's just their fucking DNA, and that's that's so rad to see. It's super unique. I love stuff like that, and I love bands that take chances and put different records out. Like you know. And the Metallic fans always went crazy. I mean, they they were mad at them from Ride the Lightning. Yeah, dude, they've you been know, mad at them with every album. I don't think there has been an album when they've released that they ha- like that their fan base hasn't been mad about. Like, I just I don't think I've ever seen it. Puppets because they went to a big label. You know what I mean? <laughs> Speaking of Master Puppets, yeah. When was the first going back to like what came out March third in nineteen eighty six, the Master of Puppets record? Where were you when you first heard that record? Well, I have a history with Metallica, which is insane. So I grew up in Old Bridge, New Jersey. So that's where Megaforce Records was. That was, a, mm-hmm. that was the label that signed Metallica. Their first two records came out. This guy, Johnny Z, had a, uh, had a flea market, had a record shop with all imports records. I was 16, 17 at the time. Every Friday night, me and my friends would go down there with our money and buy records. He'd play in the, we'd just hang out at the store. We had nothing else going on. And he's like, this Metallica, no Le- life to leather cassette, the, the original oh, cassette. Oh, shit. He goes, I'm bringing, he goes, I'm going to manage this band's going to be huge. They're going to come, I'm bringing them to the East Coast. They're going to do some shows. They're going to record their debut album here. I'm going to sign this band. They're going to be big. And when I remember listening to that cassette, I'm like, damn, this shit is fucking out there. It's fucking heavy. And he brought them to like Old Bridge, our town. And they would play at the skating rink down the street, this little shitty bar. They were just hanging around. I actually took them to the mall one time because they, they were staying at the, the guy Johnny Z's house. He just had a baby and they were drinking all their booze. Like a <laughs> Lars just drank our fucking champagne that we had from our wedding night that we were saving. <laughs> He's like, <laughs> you know, they were like 22 years old or 20 and they were sleeping on their floor and they go, Lars, they just drank our. I was just like the fucking best. I love fucking Lars. <laughs> yeah. So. They go, can you just get him out of the house? I remember taking him to the mall, walking around. You know what I mean? Just hanging with him. I'm like, all right, I'll just, I'll babysit him for a while. I've probably seen him six or seven times in these little clubs before even Kill Em All was out as a kid. It was amazing. Yeah. So I followed the career and I, a master of puppets, I mean, just a complete masterpiece. That's their, Dude, you know. When that, when that thing hit, it was out. just like, it was everything, you know, I, 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 as you said, like, oh, they sold out. They went to a major label, like. Damn it, dude, they got a fucking great sound, and they made fucking great songs on that. Like, I mean, the Ride the Lightning is a great record, too, but, you, you know, the, the production value from Ride to Master was just such an upgrade. It was just like, oh, you could hear everything now. This is fucking rad. You hear Cliff going insane. Like, this is this is what a metal record's supposed to sound like, and that was the staple for so long, like, to me. Like, I, I don't know if that's how everyone felt in the 80s, but to me, when I heard Master of Puppets, I was like, this is the staple. This is what metal is supposed to sound like. Absolutely. And, you know, that never got any radio airplay either. The only time Metallica didn't get played on the radio until a one off the uh, Justice yeah. for All record. Dude, that music that video thing. was insane, though. Like, the Johnny Got His Gun fucking such a great fucking concept. I know. And they never they never got played on the radio. They were huge. but no. One, and then when one came out, then they started playing them. And then they started playing their old stuff. And then every radio station around the country had mandatory Metallica. Mandatory Metallica was a fucking that was can AC. It was it was uh, fucking it was it was everything out here. Like oh, every yeah, every radio station around the country, all of a sudden they could play Master of Puppets, anything off an air, ride the lightning, kill them all. All of a sudden, the Metallica was okay to be played on the radio, but it didn't happen until that one video. I remember that. 
That's insane. That's insane. It took that yeah, long because when you listen, to, I yeah, mean, and everyone uses puppets. Master of Puppets in their in their movies now. Like if there's a moment yeah. to play Master of Puppets, like Master, Master, it, it'll just show up in a even in an old school when it didn't even make sense. <laughs> exactly. I was thinking that one. I'm glad you pointed it out. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. <laughs> that was great. That was great. Everyone can check yeah. out. Uh, Everybody is awful. Um, is your podcast? How how often are you putting that out now? I put it Monday and Thursday, two podcasts. It's on Barstool Sports, but wherever you get podcasts. Wherever you get podcasts, Barstool Sports. I got to talk to you aside on that because I'm, I'm you know, congratulations on, on getting on Barstool Sports. They're, they're doing their thing right now, which is fantastic. Um, everyone, go check out more. Jim Florentine. You've, you've heard the name. You know who he is. He's everywhere. He's on Twitter at Mr. Jim Florentine. IG, just Jim Florentine. And everything yep. else, uh, podcasting. You know, catch him all the time on Ozzy's Boneyard. Had such a blast talking to you, man. And uh, I can't wait till we can hang in person and maybe share a beer. Absolutely, man. Cheers. That'll just about do it for this week's episode of Drinks with Johnny. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Thanks to Jim Florentine for being on the show, becoming a friend. So much fun. We had like an extra, I don't know, about 30 minutes of content that we continued to record and just chat. Uh, that will probably be released a little bit later. So if you're interested in that, make sure you head over to drinkswithjohnny.com. Sign up for the newsletter right there. I'll probably be leaking when we're going to release all that stuff and how. So uh, if you want to support the show, head over to drinkswithjohnny.com. Follow us on all the social medias and keep up to date with what we are doing. So much more great content coming soon. And I really appreciate it, guys, because I'm having so much fun with this. My team's having a lot of fun with this. This is a passion project that we're getting to do together. So I really appreciate all of you listeners. And until next week, cheers. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the one-hit thunder or were nothing more than a one-hit blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh, and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest, to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday.